0: One of the things that I have learned over time is that as humans, we make really bad decisions when our decisions are based upon lies. And we often think that we're immune to this, but we're actually all vulnerable to it. If you go back into the 1920s, uh, you'll, you'll learn that we started adding an ingredient to gasoline called tetrathlethyl lead. That's at least how I guess you say it. Um, and it was, it was an originally a good idea to, to impact the knocking that happened in engines. But over time, we began to realize that this lead was actually unhealthy. We got told, though, by scientists who worked for this industry that the body naturally and safely harbors lead, which was a lie. And so for years, 5,000 people died from leaded gasoline and from leaded paint. In 2016, a man named Edgar Welch traveled from his home in South Carolina to Washington, D.C. to a pizzeria because he'd read a story online that that pizzeria was the the safe harboring point and the the head of a human trafficking ring. He came in guns blazing, literally, thinking he was going to save children who were being trafficked. Unfortunately, the article that he read online was untrue. And he was arrested and charged with four felonies after endangering the lives of innocent people who thought they were just sitting down to enjoy a dinner of pizza. It's a reminder that not everything you read on, online is true. We say, Scott, why is that important? Because our beliefs are the fundamental foundation of all of our decisions. Our beliefs shape our actions, our actions shape our experience. And our experience, well, that's everything. And that's why it's so important that we get to the bedrock of what is shaping our beliefs. Because if our beliefs are being shaped by lies, then lies are driving our actions and our experiences. And that really is the heart of this series that we're in called Kill the Spider. This series that's based upon a metaphor from Carlos Whitaker's book that shares the same title. In that book, he, his, his dad shares a story with him about preaching a revival in Panama and having a woman come forward night after night asking for prayer, asking God to clean the cobwebs from her life. And finally, Pastor Fermin realizing that, that they needed to pray a new prayer, not that God would clean the cobwebs, but that God would kill the spider. And Pastor Fermin then shared with his son, Carlos, challenging his son to say, hey, stop cleaning the cobwebs from your life. Stop dealing with the superficial issues and go after the issues of the heart. Before we go any further, my mic has decided it doesn't want to agree with me today. So guys, I'm going to switch to the handheld. We'll stash that for later. But this, uh, this metaphor... It's at the core of this series. And we've, if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go online and watch it. But we talked about the difference between a spider and a cobweb. And we said that a spider is an agreement that we've made with a lie. And I believe that many of us, probably the majority of us, in some place in our life, we have a spider. We have a place where, like Edgar and like the national population with lead, we've bought into a lie. We've agreed with it, and it's become foundational for the way that we live and see the world. And when you agree with lies, it creates problems in your life, it creates pain, it creates challenges. And so what you have is a spider gives birth to cobwebs. And cobwebs are medicators that bring false comfort to that lie. In the place where you feel uh, frustrated or uncomfortable, in the places where that, that, that spider is causing pain, you grab onto something or reach for something to make you feel better. And we said that for many of us, we we try to clean the cobwebs or manage these things in our lives, hoping that we can overcome them and move into an experience of freedom. But what we said is that cleaning cobwebs never actually brings freedom. It brings a temporary feeling of freedom. You you drink a little bit less or maybe you go a few weeks without looking at pornography Or, or maybe you manage your anger or maybe you get your work hours under control or maybe you stop binge online shopping for a few weeks. But all of those things are temporary experiences of freedom and they're not the real thing. And for many of us, as we're in the beginning of a new year, we have places in our lives where you go, man, if I could just get a handle on this, everything would change. But you've been saying that for years. The people in your life, in your family, your friends, they've heard you and they've watched you go through this cycle again and again and again. I'm, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to manage my finances. I'm going to get a hold of this pornography. I'm going to stop working too much. And all of that is human striving and cobweb cleaning instead of spider killing. And we said in this series that if you're going to go after the spiders in your life, get ready for resistance. And I experienced that just myself this week, Friday night, I went to sleep and I am a sweater when I sleep. I mean, I, I get so hot when I sleep. God bless my wife. I mean, I get so hot, but Friday night I'm shivering in my bed, no fever, but I'm shivering and I'm praying. Cause I'm like this message I had to bring on Sunday. I'm I must not, not supposed to be bring it. The enemy must not want me to speak this. So I start praying. And there's a person who I've been talking to this week about this opposition I've been experiencing. I said, God, would you tell them to pray for me right now while I'm shaking and shivering? The next morning I wake up and we start text messaging about something else. And I tell them what happened. And they go, that's really freaky, Scott. And I go, why? They go, because I almost texted you this morning and asked you if you're okay. I said, why'd you do that? They said, because last night I had a dream about you. You had a dream. What would happen in the dream? You were preaching And you passed out. They said, I woke up and I started praying for you. I said, Well, that's good. So hopefully, I don't pass out today, guys. But the reason why I share that with you is to give you a warning that if you have gone after identifying the cobweb in your life, that's the easy part. Finding your spider is the hard part. If you started cleaning the cobwebs of your life, that's the easy part. Killing the spider, That's the hard part. So Scott, why would I want to do this? You're having dreams and shakes and weird stuff's happening to you. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to go after that spider? Here's why. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. It's like a cobweb sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The reason why you need to kill the spider in your life is because if you don't kill the spider that's in your life, you will never live the life Jesus died for you to live. You'll never run that race. You'll give up along the way. You'll fall short. And you'll never enter into everything he died for you to have. I believe that there are countless people, especially followers of Jesus, who have never experienced all that Jesus made possible for you through his death and resurrection. Why? Because you've settled for cleaning cobwebs. And because spiders have been born in your life that are so scary that you never push through them into all that Jesus has for you. And I want you to experience everything that Jesus died for you for. Not for you to cope, not for you to struggle, not for you to clean cobwebs, but for you to experience the abundance that he came to give you. That's what this series is about. So today our big idea is this, that our biggest spiders concern What we believe, just forget there's a B there. What we believe about God and what we believe about ourselves. Our biggest spiders concern what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves. Our biggest spiders are agreements we've made with lies about ourselves and with God. And today what I want to do is I want to share with you three realities about those biggest spiders. And the first reality is this, that our beliefs about God and our beliefs about ourselves shape everything of our lives. What you believe about God and what you believe about yourself shapes everything. It's foundational to everything. And so if you agree with a lie about how God sees you. And if you agree with a lie about who God is, that will influence and inform every piece of your life. A.W. Tozer is one of the most well-known preachers and writers of the 20th century. His, his writings have been read by millions of people. And in one of his famous writings, probably his most famous quote, A.W. Tozer said this. He said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What he's saying is your view of God is foundational to everything about you. And so if you decide that God is capricious, if you decide that God is vindictive, if you decide that God is somehow punishing you or has it out for you, that will impact everything about your life. If you believe that God really doesn't care what you do, and at the end, you'll be forgiven for everything. If you believe that your actions don't really matter, if you believe there is no consequence for how you live, that will influence everything. And if you believe that God is like a watchmaker who created the world and then just set it in motion and is incapable of being involved, and is incapable of fixing anything, and can't really influence everything, that will influence the way you live. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, I don't believe that 100 years from now, people will be quoting my words in a sermon, because I don't think my words are as good as ADB Tozer. But if they do, one of the things I hope they quote is this. That the second most important thing about us. Is what we think God thinks about us. If the most important thing about us. Is what we think about God. I believe the second most important thing about us. Is what we think God. Thinks about us. Because some of you believe. That God thinks you're a mistake. Some of you believe. That God thinks. You're a waste of time. Some of you believe that God thinks you're a disappointment and that shapes everything. Some of you think that when God thinks about you, he wonders when you're going to get it together. Some of you think that when God thinks about you, he goes, man, I wish they would start doing what I said because then I would love them. Some of you think that God is spending all of his time comparing you to other people in your life, in your family, who maybe have it together more or are better than them. And you go, man, if I could be like them, then God would love me more. That's what God's thinking about you. When you think about what God thinks about you, that is right underneath what you think about God. Because those two things shape every relationship you're in. They shape every conversation that you have. And those are the places where Satan tells us lies. Those are the places where when we begin to agree with the lies that Satan tries to influence us with, that's where he can hold us back. Because if you believe a lie about God, or if you believe a lie about yourself, that will influence your entire life. That will keep you from all that God has for you. So the first one is that our biggest spider's concern. What we think about God, we think about ourselves, and that shapes everything. Number two, our beliefs are often a product of our past experiences. Those beliefs about God, those beliefs about ourselves, are often a product of past experiences. What I want to do today is I want to expose you to a story from Scripture of somebody who bought into a lie. I'm going to tell you a story from my own life about how I bought into a lie. And I want to tell you an example of somebody from our church who bought into a lie so you can experience this and get clarity about how you can discover this for yourself. If you have a Bible, open up to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Judges is the seventh book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are the first five, the Pentateuch, the law. Then you have Joshua then you have Judges. And the book of Judges is 21 chapters long. And it records what happens after Moses dies and after Joshua dies and before the people begin to have kings. And in Judges chapter 2, this is what we read. Chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. Baals are regional false gods or idols in the land. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them, and they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Ashtoreth is another false god from that area. So what happens is that Moses leads the people out of Egypt victoriously. Joshua leads the people into the promised land, but Joshua dies and everybody who's Joshua's age dies and the people forget what God has done for them. And so they enter into what I call, or what's commonly called the judges cycle or the downward cycle. I'm going to explain to you in one picture, this entire book of judges. This is the book of judges. The people of Israel obey the Lord and they begin resisting. They're not totally sure they want to do what the Lord says. Then they move into a period of open rebellion, worshiping false gods, and breaking their covenant with God. God then allows them to experience the consequences of their actions, and He judges those actions, and they begin to experience the consequences. Over time, they begin to recognize, man, we made a wrong decision. We're doing this, and we're experiencing the consequences. So they repent. They call out to God. They cry out to him, save us. We've done wrong. God raises up a judge to rescue them. And as long as that judge is alive, they follow God, and they obey him. Then the judge dies. The people resist. And the book is like this over and over and over again. It's it's kind of like if you've ever seen a Hallmark Hall of Fame movie or read a Nicholas Sparks book, it's just the same plot over and over again. (laughs) 21 chapters in Judges, and it's the same story every time. Not that different from our lives. Some of us live the same cycle over and over and over again. And this is what happens to the people. And so in Judges chapter 6... We encounter one of these individuals who God raises up to use and more time is given to this judge in the entire book than any other judge. Many of you know the name Samson because his story is very well known. He gets less time in the book of Judges than this guy, a man named Gideon, and his story is told in Judges chapter 6. So if you have your Bible open, go to Judges chapter 6, and we're going to spend a little bit of time exploring his life and the spider that was born in his heart. Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. Judges 6, 11 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth, that's a a name for a cashew tree in the area, a terebinth, at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, who's his father, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now, there's a lot happening in this verse, and I want to pick it apart real quick so you can understand it and get a sense of what's happening. So it says, the angel of the Lord comes, sits under this cashew tree at Ophrah, which is not where they normally lived. It's actually far north which is what happened. The the Midianites who were oppressing them, they would come in during the harvest season and they would steal all their food. So the people would flee to the mountains. They would hide in caves while their food was being taken. So this land, which also belonged to his father, is where Gideon's hiding out. And he's beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now, if you know anything about agrarian culture, you know that in the ancient day, wheat was beaten out on a threshing floor It looked like this. And so you'd have a stone in the middle, somewhere right here. And what would happen is with a hammer, people would beat out the wheat and knock the wheat off of the stalk of the plant. You'll notice that there's a stone underneath that piece of material, and all the pieces are falling off of the stalk onto that material. And after he beats off all of the wheat and the chaff from the stalk, What would happen is he would take that piece of material underneath it and he would throw it up in this threshing floor and the wind would blow the chaff away and the wheat, the good stuff, would fall. This threshing floor is is located in a wide open space so the wind can blow through and do the work. The only problem is that Gideon is not beating the wheat on a threshing floor. Like this. He's beating the wheat in a wine press down in the ground where you would squish the grapes and the juice would go down. When you're down in the wine press, there's one problem. There's no wind. And he's down there because he's afraid of the Midianites seeing him. He's driven by fear and he's making his job a lot harder. This is what happens when you've begun to be plagued by a spider. Your decisions begin to be governed by fear, and you settle for less. You may never have threshed wheat before, but there are places where you're in a wine press threshing wheat right now. You're making decisions based upon fear, and you're settling for far less than God intended. And this is where the angel of the Lord finds Gideon. And the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon. This is what he says to Gideon. He says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, you don't have to even know a lot about Gideon to know that's a very ironic phrase to somebody who's threshing wheat in a wine press, driven by fear. Angel comes to him and says, O mighty man of valor. Your Bible might say, O mighty warrior. It doesn't make any sense if you're Gideon but if you're God, it makes total sense because God sees you differently than you do. Each and every one of you need to hear that message today that God is coming to you and speaking to you, not in light of where you are and who you are in your own eyes, but in light of who he's made you to be and who he's going to use you to be. And if he can come to Gideon and say, oh, mighty warrior, when he's in a wine press... He's coming to you today, bound by a spider, and he's calling you into who he made you to be. But Gideon, Gideon's a lot like us. He's a little bit cynical. Here's what he says. He says, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt But now the Lord has forsaken us and he's given us into the hand of Midian. Basically what Gideon is saying is God has abandoned me. And that's a lot of your spider. For many of you, that's your spider. You feel like God has abandoned you. You might never have said these words out loud before, but in your heart, you believe God has abandoned you. That's the lie you've believed. You believe that God is not there for you. God isn't hearing your prayers. God isn't showing up the way he does for other people or the way he did in the Bible. And as a result, you've bought into the lie that God has abandoned you. Because if he if he hadn't abandoned you, all these things that you thought were going to happen would be happening right now. All these things you seem to do in other people's lives will be, be happening in your life right now. And for many of us, we buy into a lie when we are in a season where things don't go the way we thought they would. And we buy into that lie because it's the story we choose to make sense of things even in spite of evidence to the contrary. In Judges chapter two, twice, we heard God say to the people that they had abandoned him. Just verses before this, in in Judges chapter six, the Lord sends a prophet to the people after they cry out to him, And he says, the prophet, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you from Egypt and I brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you. And I drove them out before you and I gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whom, in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. God told them, look, I'm not the one who left. I'm not the one who moved. I'm not the one who abandoned. You abandoned me. Now, hear me clearly. I am not saying that the reason you're experiencing difficulty in your life is because you did something wrong. That's another lie. I must have done something to deserve this. But what I am saying is when you feel like life is not going the way you thought it would, the very tempting story you can tell yourself is God abandoned me. And that lie, if you agree with it, will begin to shape everything. Because the decisions we make today, write the story we'll tell tomorrow. And so wherever you're at, whatever situation you're in, the decision you make today about what you're going to choose to believe about God in this moment, that will write the story you tell tomorrow. And you need to be very careful the decisions you make when you are in suffering or adversity or pain. You need to be very careful the decisions you make about what you're going to believe about God. We'll just play this out with some common cobwebs in our lives. For some of us who wrestle with the cobweb of alcohol or drugs, the lie that you want to tell yourself is that God has abandoned me and I don't have what it takes to get through this. So you then reach for substances to numb out the pain. If If you wrestle with pornography, the lie you may have believed is that I am not worthy of love. So I have to settle for artificial love. I'm not worthy of intimacy with my spouse, so I have to settle with false intimacy or artificial intimacy with somebody else through a screen. For some of us who, who wrestle with with work and control, you go, I, I don't measure up, so therefore I have to prove my worthiness and my value through my performance. See that this is this is the place where where the lie came for me, the two lies that I am most vulnerable to believing are that I am not enough and I'm only as good as my last sermon. I hear those lies, if not on a weekly basis, a daily basis. I am not enough and I'm only as good as my last sermon. And there have been seasons where those lies became spiders because I believed them. And they led to really unhealthy habits. Needing to hear the approval of people that I preach to, to make me feel better about the lie that I'm only as good as my last sermon. But here's the thing. There is no amount of applause that can ever fix that lie. There is no amount of likes or shares on Facebook that can ever fix that lie. And every time I get a little bit of that, I need more. A little hit becomes a bigger hit. A little bit of applause means a lot of applause. And that lie, in seasons in the past in my life, has made this job really difficult. And there's places in your life where the exact thing that God made you and created you do is hard. Not because the work is hard, but because you've believed lies. And I don't know what past experience that comes out of. I do. We don't have time for it today. I do. I figured it out this week. But in that season, I began to believe lies. And part of the reason why I'm up here sharing this with you is I don't want you to spend years in the future being bound up and missing out the way I did. I love you. And I love hearing when God uses something I share to help you. And the reason why I had to kill that spider is so that I can enjoy that feedback, not need it. What happens when you believe a lie and it becomes a spider is you take something that God intended to give you as a gift and you turn it into an idol. And you can't ever enjoy an idol anymore. In those seasons, I couldn't enjoy positive feedback. I needed it. So today, those are lies that I hear and I'm tempted with. But they're not spiders. And some of you need to know this, that the lies you may struggle with, they may not be spiders in your life. Good for you. You may not have a spider, but you may have a lie that Satan tries to use against you on a regular basis for you to believe in. And you need to be aware of it and you need to fight against it. Because, number three, our enemy leverages our difficulties to tell us lies. Our enemy leverages difficulties to tell us lies. When you are in a difficult season, when you are going through adversity, you are prime, prime, target for our enemy to tell lies to. Why? Because you're vulnerable. You're tired, or you're exhausted, or you're in pain, or you're in crisis, or you're trying to make sense of life. And what you need to know is when it comes to following Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, we are in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. And the reason why we are in a battle is we have an enemy, And Jesus told us in John 10, our enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. And the way that he steals and kills and destroys us is he tells us lies. Earlier in John 8, Jesus said these words to the Pharisees, who he saw as the tools of Satan. He says, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So what happens? We'll use my story for an example. God calls me onto a stage to use a microphone to share the gospel. But in seasons of difficulty, what Satan does is he tells me lies about myself so that I will never fully step into that calling and be used by God so that my calling becomes the place where I am caught and stuck. The very place God wants to use me becomes the place that Satan lies to me. And the same thing is true for you. God created you and called you and is using you. And when you go through a difficult season, Satan leverages that to tell you lies, to hold you back and keep you from all that God intended for you. And so if you're in a difficult season right now, you need to put your antenna up and begin listening for lies. If you've been through a hard season in the past... You need to look back into that season because there may be a lie that you picked up along the way that became a big hairy spider that is holding you back from all that God intended for you. And what's so funny is even while Gideon is believing that lie, this is what God says to him. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Even if you've believed lies, God can still use you. Even if you have big, hairy spiders in your life, God can use you. And even if you have felt sidelined because you have these huge cobwebs that you feel like are holding you back, God can still use you. We shared the words of first Peter last week, which said, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's the hope that even if you have been held back in the past, you don't have to be held back in the future. Even if you have fallen in the past, God can write a new future. So I've got one next step for you this morning one step that I want you to take this week. And here's that step. I want you to ask Holy Spirit to reveal your spider. Notice I didn't put the in there because Holy Spirit is a person. I don't call you the Bob and you the Dave and you the Sharon. I just call you Bob, Dave, and Sharon. Holy Spirit is a person who lives in us. And I want you to ask Holy Spirit to reveal the spider that's present in your life. And you go, Scott, how do I do that? Well, three ways. Here's the first one. Pay attention. Pay attention. You have to actually be living in a way where you're aware of God's presence and aware of his voice to hear him. We cover this in the last few series of Cornerstone that many times the pace of our life impacts our ability to hear from God. And we said over and over again that it's hard to hear God when you're in a hurry. So if you want God to reveal your spider to you, you're going to have to slow down. Because in my life, just my experience, God is not in the business of shouting. He's in the business of whispering. And if your life is loud, you'll never hear God. You have to slow down. When your life gets quiet, God's voice gets loud. So pay attention if you want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Number two, ask specific questions. Begin asking God very specific questions about your spider. And I've given you a couple here on the next slide. God, what's my spider? God, what lie did I believe here? God, what's behind this struggle in my life that I can't break free from? Somebody who goes to Cornerstone uh, shared the story with me this week. They said, I started praying about what my spider was, and I found it. They said, uh, it's it's prayer. And I go, you're like the best prayer, prayer person I know. They go, yeah, I have no problem praying for other people. I have a problem praying for myself. They said, because my spider is, I have believed that God doesn't answer my prayers because he doesn't care for me like he cares for other people. is that I keep trying to find new ways to pray for myself until I realized that my spider is that God doesn't answer my prayers because he doesn't care for me. And until I replace that lie with the truth, I'm never going to experience the prayer life I want. That kind of clarity is possible for you if you pay attention and ask specific questions. Because if you can locate your spider, I believe you can corner it and kill it with God's power. Number three, Examine your past experiences. That person who shared that story with me, what we started talking about was the experience where that spider was born out of, where they felt like God abandoned them when they'd been praying for something and it didn't happen. And so for some of you, you're going to have to go back into your past and dig into some past experiences because beliefs are often linked to experiences. We started with this this in opposite way, but often our experiences, if we dig into them, they reveal our actions, and then they reveal our fundamental beliefs. And sometimes we don't want to go back into our experiences because it's too hard or it's too painful. That's fine. Just stay stuck. You're going to have to decide, do you want to be comfortable or do you want to be free? And I believe you can kill the spider that's present in your life if you will surrender to the power of God and ask him to speak to you. Because the core idea of this series is this, that freedom is not found in striving. Freedom is found in surrender. And I believe the thing that's holding many of us back is we've never really surrendered. And we're trying to follow God in our own power and strength. Would you pray with me? God, I believe that you're at work in this place and in this series. I believe it because I've had to fight like I haven't fought in a long time to speak. We've fought distractions and barriers even on Sunday mornings to you speaking. And that's because I believe our enemy does not want your people to be free. God, I pray that in just these few minutes here we could get really honest with you. Not play games, not worry about other people's opinions, just get really honest with you because I believe there's some of us who've never fully surrendered our lives to you. We, we we asked you to forgive our sins and take us to heaven when we die, but we, we didn't actually lay it all down. God, you're not interested in half-hearted commitment. You want all of our lives. And many of us have tried to get free, but in our own power and strength, and it won't come that way. It won't come through us cleaning our cobwebs and managing our issues, God. It will only come when we surrender ourselves to you and we ask you to reveal the truth about the lies we believed that are holding us back. And there's some of us who who think that we're just a good person. And so because we're good people, we'll go to heaven when we die. And that's a lie, God. We have no hope in our own power and strength, God. Our only hope is in you. Our only hope is in what you did on the cross for us. So God, this morning, I wanna pray for the people whose hearts you're stirring in. I wanna pray that they would open themselves up to you. I wanna pray that they would allow you to work in their life in a way that you've never worked before. And I wanna pray that your spirit is moving with greater freedom than it ever has before. And I pray against our enemy who doesn't want this to happen. I pray that you would bind him and prevent him from opposing the work that you want to do. And I pray that release and freedom would be the norm and would be the universal experience of the people who are in the sound of my voice. Not because I want it, but because you want it. And because they're opening themselves up to you. God, we pray that you would accomplish great things. And that we give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.